Genesis 28. But we're not going to read immediately, so just stick your finger in there and we'll come to that in just a moment. Every one of us has a front line or a number of front lines, a place where we do life and work and we, where we encounter people who don't yet know Jesus. Five weeks ago, on the first of our Frontline Sundays, we had a go at identifying some of our front lines. We pictured ourselves in those front lines and we, we stuck a, a red dot on a map to, to say, this is my front line, this is the place where I spend time between Sundays representing Jesus. So I've taken a, a photograph of a small part of the map. Even if you're, you can't see everything there, you'll, you'll recognize Bangor, don't you? The, the, the town center, the marina. Um, it's there on the map, and you can see the red dots. I had a look at the two maps. We, we put up one map of Bangor, but then we recognized that some people are engaged in places way beyond Bangor, so we put up a map of Northern Ireland as well. I, I found it really inspiring to see all those dots, to think of you, not, you know, mostly when I think of you, I think of you in here, like I look at you now, but it, it, it was exciting to think of you where you'd be Monday to, to Saturday, all those other places where God has you represented on those maps. Now, I checked, the maps are out there, the red dots are out there. So those of you who didn't get a chance to do that five weeks ago, today is your chance. We're locking the doors until everybody has put a red. No, no, we're, we're not. We're not locking the doors. But if you'd like to, um, why not stick a, a pin in the map and show us where your front line is. This morning, I want to talk a little bit more about that. We were really just introducing that idea five weeks ago. I want to talk more about these places where God puts us. He is with us and wants to use us wherever we are. We don't need to go looking for these front lines. We already have them. We just need fresh eyes to, to see these places in a different way. We're gonna watch a, a short video just now to get the juices going to help us to, to begin to do that. So let's, let's watch this wee video wherever we are. hours a day, six days a week, whenever I'm needed, every Saturday morning, I spend my time in a place that matters to God, with people that matter to God, my front line, in the stresses, successes, problem solving, tantrum resolving, <laughs> laughter, Teamwork. Jokes. Tears. Boredom. Tension. Cups of coffee. Cans of coke. God is working with me. He helps me see what he sees. Put here by God. He knows the day ahead. 
This place is rich with possibilities. This is my front line. That last wee screen prepares us well to come to this part of God's word this morning. In Genesis 28, we learn about Jacob and an unforgettable encounter that he has with God. Whenever we meet with God, these encounters with God, they're, they're transformative. And they happen in the, the course of life with its ups and its downs. They happen in places where we regularly find ourselves. And they happen, too, in places where we regularly find ourselves unexpectedly. This particular encounter that Jacob has with God, it happens at a time when he probably wasn't expecting to meet God. He's not come to church to a worship service. He's had a serious conflict with his brother. Truth is, he's, he's scammed his brother out of his inheritance, and he's leaving home because his brother wants to kill him. So those are the circumstances uh, in which Jacob finds himself. He runs away with God and he meets God. He, meet, he runs away from Esau, sorry, and he meets God in the place where he least expects to find him. Let's read about it now. We'll begin at verse 10 of Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a staircase resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abram, and the God of Isaac. I'll give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and their offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I've done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if the Lord will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I may return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. 
would be very easy to miss the central point of this story. And it's simply this, that God meets Jacob. It's the sort of thing you read about in the Bible. It's the sort of thing you can get away with saying in church, God met me or God spoke to me. But if you go into work tomorrow and say, here's what God's been saying to me over the weekend, hmm, people might start to wonder if the stress of the job is getting too much for you. Commentators ask about this dream that Jacob had. Did he imagine it all? Is it because of the stress that he's under? The commentator Walter Brueggemann says in his commentary on Genesis, neither of these will do. The narrative shatters our presuppositions. It insists that the world is a place of such meetings. The world is a place where God meets people. It sounds wonderful, this idea that God wants uh, to meet with us, that he wants to be a part of our everyday lives, that he wants to be with us beyond the sacred spaces in our Monday to Saturday. But if you really think about it for a moment, for some of us, and for at least some of the time, that can feel a bit scary too. Uh, there, there are many good reasons why we might want to limit God and keep him in church uh, and keep him limited to Sunday mornings and evenings. The last thing we want, perhaps, is for God to show an interest in our Monday to Saturday and our home and our work. Folks, even if that were true, we may want God to stay in church and limit him to Sundays, but that's not how he works. The Bible is clear God meets with people in the least likely of places. Where did he meet Moses? Well, he met him at work because he was a shepherd. He met him when he was tending his sheep in the Sinai Desert at a burning bush. He met Elijah not in the whirlwind where Elijah expected him, but in a whispering voice in a cave. He meets Zacchaeus up a tree. Peter, Jesus met Peter in his workplace, when he was on the beach, he, he wasn't out for a walk. He was fishing. Jesus meets him. Mary Magdalene looked for him in a tomb, but found him standing right beside her. Most of the encounters that we read about God having or Jesus having with people happen in their normal, everyday life. So another Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, he says that no place excludes divine visits. That's what we're thinking about here today. There's nowhere we can be beyond God's presence. No place excludes divine visits. There have been lots of stories, and maybe you can tell one yourself, of people who've encountered God in strange places, schools and homes, workplaces, prisons, squash courts, pubs, fields. I was talking to a friend recently who I'm only really getting to know, and he was telling me of the day that he gave his life to Jesus. He'd been at a church service, he got into the car, and he had this sense, the sense that God was saying to him, you're not going to leave this car until you've given your life to me. So he drove uh, the journey that he was making, and sure enough, he found himself unable to get out of the car until he'd committed himself to Jesus. A car, 
It's the most ordinary place in the world, and yet for uh, this, this person, it was the place where they met God. It still happens like this. God meets us in our ordinary places. God doesn't just meet us in our ordinary places. He transforms those ordinary places. So let's come back to Jacob. He thought this was just an ordinary place, a stop off on the way to Haran, a place that would be handy for him to spend the night. But this ordinary place became an extraordinary place. It became a touching point between heaven and earth. Verse 19, we read that Jacob renames the place Bethel. I'm, I'm picturing him lying on the ground somewhere. There's nothing much there. But for him, it's become a house of God. This is what we mean by front lines. These are ordinary places that become places where heaven meets earth. Maybe you noticed in the film that we watched how the ordinary places became holy places for the people in that film. For, for the plumber, it was his customers' houses, his clients' houses. For the grandma, it was the front room where she gave her child care. For the football coach, it was the pitch. For the businesswoman, it was the office. When we go to our ordinary places, when we go there in the name of Jesus, do you remember we talked about this last week? When we go to make the room a better place, when we go to have our, our salt rubbed into the grain of that place, when we make sure that our light shines and is visible in that place, these places become a touching point between heaven and earth. I love how Dallas Willard talks about this reality in his book, Hearing God. He says that a disciple and a friend of Jesus stands in the world as a point of contact between heaven and earth, a kind of Jacob's ladder by which the angels of God may ascend from and descend into human life. He's asking us to think of ourselves a little bit like that latter. Another writer, Hannah Hernard, in her book, God's Transmitters, she says the disciple of Jesus Christ can be one who is in such vital contact with God and with his fellow men that he's like a live wire closing the gap between the saving power of God and the sinful men who've been cut off from that saving power. We are the live wire between heaven and earth, the source of God's forgiving, saving power and those who desperately need it. So, God meets us in our ordinary places. He transforms them into holy places one last look at Jacob. How does he respond? Jacob marked the holy place. God comes to Jacob. He, he speaks to him in this vision, and he reassures him of the promise that he had made to his father Abraham. He says, that promise hasn't been forgotten. Verse 14, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Jacob, your descendants are, are going to bless the world in my name. I don't know if you have much sense of Jacob, the person at this point. I reread the Genesis narratives uh, there as we were reading Genesis in book by book. 
He is, he is a handful, is the honest truth. He, he's a schemer, a scammer. He's, as we say, he's ripped off his brother. And he's on the run. These are not conducive circumstances, we wouldn't think, for a profound encounter with the holy God. But here he is. He's in this place. He hears the voice of God. And God reassures him that God's going to use him to change the places he goes to in the rest of his life. It's a huge moment, a beginning of a transformation in the life of Jacob. Notice, by the way, that God meets Jacob in a dream. It's not while he's run the boat. It's not while he's busy. And maybe that's significant. Maybe it's in those moments in our lives when we slow down that we become more aware of God's presence with us. When we're just a wee bit slower going to the places that we're going to, maybe, maybe praying before we go into a meeting, just walking into a room where we have an idea of what's going to face us, let's slow down and let's go there with an expectation that God can be at work there. Let's, let's go into those places looking to see how we can join him in what he's doing. We're talking here about the, the places where God has put us, the where of our lives. I didn't know this until I was preparing for this sermon. It had never occurred to me. Does anybody, do you, do you know what the first question in the Bible is? It's where are you? Hmm? Do you remember? It's, it's God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, looking for Adam and Eve, and he asks the question, where are you? Adam, you'll remember, doesn't really answer the question, just, just makes excuses for what he his, has been doing. A better answer to the question when God asks it, where are you? A better answer is, here I am. It's a really common answer, actually, that recurs many times in the Bible. Because God speaks to people, and many of them find themselves saying to him, here I am. Abram did, and Jacob, Moses, and Isaiah, they're all among the people of the Bible who say, here I am to God. That's a lovely thing to be able to say to God. It's a way of saying, I'm okay with where I'm at. I'm not wishing for some place in the past, some place that I was happier. I wish I was back there. I'm not dreaming of some unknown place in the future. Here I am, happy to do your will. It's been a couple of months since Advent and Christmas, but we shouldn't be too quick to forget uh, forget Mary, the mother of Jesus. Nobody said it better than Mary. When the angel came to her, told her the dramatic news that she was to carry God's son, her reply, here I am. Let it be to me as you've said. If Jesus wants to make himself at home with me, if he wants to make himself at home in me, in my body, then here I am. 
you think you might be able to practice saying that this week? Here I am. Here I am in the office. Here I am changing nappies. Here I am in the toxic staff room. Here I am fighting with my spouse. Here I am. In just a moment, we're going to meet a member of the congregation to hear a little bit from them about the places where God has put them, uh, about God's presence with them on their front lines. Just before we do that, we're going to sing. We're going to sing two songs. Here I am to worship is, is the chorus of one of them. And here I am, wholly available, uh, uh, an old chorus from another. Please take a seat. At this moment, I'd just like to invite uh, a member of the congregation to come and join me to talk about their front lines and in particular what they'll be doing this time tomorrow. Claire, I don't need an invitation or or, uh, an an introduction, I should say, Um, but perhaps some people here do. Do you want to tell folks who you are. Okay, good morning. Uh, I'm Claire. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I'm married to Christoph. Um, So yeah, and I have three kids. Uh, Trying to think what else. I grew up in Bangor. um, So this is a familiar place for me. Um, So it's great to be here. Yep. Um, Claire, I asked you during the week whether you'd be a, a willing conscript to come and talk to me about uh, the places you spend your time. So we want to talk about this time tomorrow. It's a way of thinking not about Sundays in church, but about Mondays and Tuesdays and ordinary days. So Claire, tell us where you're going to be this time tomorrow. Okay, this time tomorrow I will be uh, in a little place somewhere between Castle Wellen Forest Park and Tullymore Forest Park. If you saw a red dot on a map somewhere random out in the Mourne area, that was me. Um, so that's what I do on a Monday. On a Monday, I go down to a house that we own there, uh, which I short-term let, uh, and I clean it, and I tend to it. So this time tomorrow at 11 o'clock, I will be changing probably about six beds, changing bed linen. I will be hoovering, cleaning a bathroom, sorting out a mess that I find there, hopefully not too bad. So that is this time tomorrow, what I'll be doing. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I work as a classroom assistant in Bangor Central Integrated School uh, as a special needs classroom assistant. So that's uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, I'll be back down again doing my cleaning. So, Claire, you, you really are going to quite diverse places there. Yeah. How do you experience God's presence in those places? Okay, as I was thinking about what, what I might say, I, I came up with two, two things I wanted to share with you. The first thing, uh, I suppose I'm somebody who likes to make a difference. I like to see progress. I like to know I'm going somewhere. And every Monday morning when I get in the car, it feels like Groundhog Day. I feel like I'm going backwards. I'm going back to clean another mess and to make things right again. And that can seem a bit kind of like, oh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not making a difference. It's the same old, same old. 
But bizarrely, I find it strange. God has given me an incredible vision for this. And I actually love going down. I love sorting out the mess. I love making it good again and making it right uh, and making it a welcoming place again. So that is only a, a God thing, I believe, because cleaning ain't that great, as you will know. But he has given me a vision for that. And, and that's great. I actually love going down to do that. The second wee thing that I wanted to share as well with you is I found it a very different place. I'm used to working in a team with people. I'm used to working and sharing life with people and seeing how my faith can make a difference when you're with people. That salt, that light we were talking about last week, that's easier to see when you're with people and when you're rubbing shoulders. I'm on my own every Monday, every Friday. Well, mostly on my own. And I've really wrestled with God with this. I think, what difference am I making? How can I be salt and light in this place when I'm not meeting people? I don't even meet my guests at the minute. We do self-check-in. But God has really taught me an awful lot. And he has placed things on my heart about being in that place, wherever I am. And he's shown me that although there aren't people there, I can pray for my guests. He's really put that on my heart. I don't know who's coming. I don't know who they are. I don't know their circumstances. I don't know their hurts. I don't know their struggles. I, I don't know anything. He does. And I think that's amazing. So as I pray for them, as I change the beds, I pray for the people by name who are coming to sleep in those beds and ask God that the place that we share with them will be a holy place, a place where God is found. Dramina is a very quiet place. It's a very calm place. It's very surrounded by nature. And you'll know yourself when you go away, you have a break, you stop, you have more time to think. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's not so good. But the big thoughts happen. And I pray that my guests will meet God, whether they know God or not, that they will meet God and that they will find him. I will never know what impact that has. I don't know if my prayers make a difference, but I trust God that they do, that I will be one small link in a chain of God meeting with them and them coming to know God. It's God's business, and I just show up. Claire, what, what are pressure points for you in your work? Um, so I... I like to be tidy. I like things to be right. I like things to be clean. That's just who I am. And when I go down and there's been a bowl of spaghetti bolognese landed on my new carpet and it looks awful, I just think, oh, that's, that's a nightmare. Or a, a curry at Christmas. It's a good day down. at home as well. The place, the place smelled of curry for weeks and weeks. And I'm like, oh. Um, I find that frustrating in the moment. Uh, God has taught me a lot and is teaching me a lot about being gracious, about being open-handed with my stuff. It is only stuff. It doesn't matter. Christoph's very good at keeping me right about that. Um, so that's a lesson. But probably I've had a smaller, a small insight into the world of small business owners. Um, and as I say, a small insight, I wouldn't claim to have experienced it to the full of what people involved in hospitality and that industry, particularly over the pandemic, what they have faced and the challenges they have faced. So I could have a booking, happily know that there's people coming in, that I have an income coming, and then suddenly two days before they'll cancel. We've got COVID, whatever. Um, and so it is a very fragile state that 
people with small businesses are in. I've had a little of that, but I know there's folks in this congregation who are dealing with that every day. And so that is a huge challenge. A little for me, but a lot bigger for other people. So that's something I've really been, been struck by. What do you think might be God's purpose for you in the work you do, the places you are? So I, I'm always wrestling with this as well. I'm always wanting to know what God has for me, uh, what it is he wants me to be doing. And this is where I find myself now. And I have to say, I, I love hospitality. I love doing this. And so I'm really thankful um, that God has been able to use me in this way. It's something that's been in our family. Um, my grandparents were uh, in the hospitality business in Bangor, so it's in my blood. And so I'm very thankful that I have the opportunity to do this. But I pray that as I run it as a business, I will also still be free to offer the place that we have. We have a real vision that it will be a haven for people who need rest, who need refreshment. Um, so it's getting that balance right. When you start running a business and you know you're, you can make a bit of money and you need the money to keep everything ticking over, you have three teenagers, whatever, but I don't want that to become a, a focus for me. I want me, uh, I would ask that you'd pray that, that God would continue to use what he's given us uh, and that vision for his glory and his purpose. Um, and yeah, that, that, would, that we would know that. Claire, thank you for sharing. Stay here and we'll pray for you on your front lines. But we're also going to uh, open the prayer a little bit wider and pray for all of us uh, for those places where God is going to put us in the days ahead. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this truth that we're dwelling on today, that you really are with us wherever we are. And Lord, we pray for Claire and thank you for her. Thank you that she longs for that, to, to know your presence, to understand your purpose, to find your help with the pressures that she faces. Lord, we pray a, a blessing on her in that work. Use what's, what's good in her heart to, to really bless her, give her work that she enjoys, and use her to bless other people. Uh, and Lord, we pray that people may even see glimpses of who you are uh, and be drawn a step closer to you as a result of Claire's work. Lord, we pray for all of us. We thank you that our everyday ordinary places matter to you. We thank you that we can make a difference there. We offer you the places where we live, work, study, and play. We say, here I am. May we serve you and bear witness to you wherever we are this week. And may we know your presence with us in these places. Amen. Thanks, Claire. Folks, a closing hymn. Let's stand and sing together. This is a song that we, we've sung at least once before in my time. It's an unfamiliar song in that um, it, it was written relatively recently, but it's entirely familiar in that we sing it to the tune of Abide, for, Abide With Me. So it's, it's an easy song to sing. It's about looking for God's kingdom around us.
in, in the very real everyday places. We seek your kingdom. Let's stand and sing.